Thanks for clicking into the Connected Hospital podcast. We are talking today with Andrew I. He is the CEO of Closed Loop. AI. Um, they are an artificial intelligence company based here in Austin, Texas. Talked to them before, but more recently, they have re- introduced a COVID-19 index. It's an open source platform for use in, by any organization. What's interesting about this platform is that it is for use uh, to not necessarily predict who is going to um, catch the the COVID-19 virus, but more importantly, those who are at risk for it. So it provides an actionable operation for hospitals and organizations to be able to utilize to to go out and, and actually into the continuum and address interventional opportunities um, to, to help patients who are, again, most at risk for catching the virus. Talk to him for a bit today. I want you to do to also take advantage of uh, checking them out on Twitter and a uh, little bit more information about the COVID-19 uh, vulnerability index. You can see them on Twitter at CV19 index. You can also check them out on their website at closedloop.ai. We had a really good discussion today with Andrew I. Hope you enjoy it. Andrew, I appreciate you taking the time to get to talk to us today uh, for the podcast. We have a lot of people that are paying attention uh, generally to the artificial intelligence space but in healthcare, but more importantly right now, I think there's an opportunity to truly understand kind of how we can utilize um, the technology uh, amid a crisis. And before we kind of go into that though, I, want, I, I do wanna kind of give um, uh, you some running room to talk a little bit about um, closed loops overall vision for how AI can, is, is um, engaging in the healthcare space and, and solving problems there. Sure. Uh, Well, to kind of keep that short, and Lance, thanks again for the time and the audience. Um, So we like to refer to Closed Loop as healthcare's data science platform. Uh, There's lots of different ways that artificial intelligence, data science, uh, machine learning are being applied in healthcare. Um, The specific area that we focus on is what's called predictive analytics. Uh, Basically, it's using uh, longitudinal health histories, kind of data over time, um, from patients to predict future health outcomes. Usually that's in the form of uh, a risk score. Who's at risk for being admitted to the hospital? Who's at risk for developing a chronic disease? Um, in the case of what's going on right now with COVID-19, it's who's at risk for severe complications related to COVID-19 um, if they do in fact catch the virus? Um, the, the team at Closed Loop has developed uh, essentially an index that uh, can be utilized open source. Tell us a little bit about that and then um, and, and how quickly y'all were able to bring that online. What's the use case? Yeah, you know, it was interesting. Just today, um, the White House uh, Coronavirus Response Coordinator, uh, Deborah Burks, actually said that they were looking for ways to predict early who was going to have a more difficult course, as she put it. Um, in other words, um, who, if they get the coronavirus, is going to have severe complications? Who's going to end up on that ventilator? Who's going to really have a hard time? Um, and so the way that we went about tackling this problem um, just a few weeks ago uh, was basically to kind of pull uh, our clinical collaborators, chief medical officers from a number of hospitals and health systems around the country, 
and ask them, look, we've got a big challenge here. No one has COVID-19 data. And so how can we use data science? How can we use machine learning um, to help in this fight when we don't yet have that data? And the answer that we came up with was effectively to use a proxy event. Um, so when we look at the people who are having severe complications related to COVID-19, um, it is largely related to people with respiratory issues. Um, this looks a lot like a respiratory infection. And so in fact, the model that we created and open sourced uh, was trained on prior examples of people who when they got a re respiratory infection, things like pneumonia, influenza, and so forth, when these types of folks had uh, those respiratory infections, they had an extreme response to them. And so uh, we started this just a few weeks ago. It's been released on uh, cv19index.com. Uh, That's cv19index.com. Open source, available to the entire world. Uh, we're trying to get this in front of as many people as we can. Okay, great. Now to to clarify though, this isn't, and you you guys have made a really good, done a really good job of clarifying uh, that this is not necessarily predictive of who's going to uh, succumb to it or, or catch COVID-19, but m more uh, precisely, like who is at risk for it? Uh, why, why that clarification? And I guess, yeah. what does that mean for the broader public? It, this is really important. What we're not trying to solve is who is going to contract COVID-19. That's a separate problem. There are other groups that are working on that. What we're trying to predict is who, if they get it, is going to have one of these very serious complications. Who's gonna end up in the hospital? Who's gonna end up in the ICU? Who's gonna end up on a ventilator? And really, this comes down to a very practical problem. Who do we need to call and convince to stay home? We want everyone to stay home, right? We want everyone to stop going to restaurants and you're seeing kind of the escalation of social isolation, excuse me, social isolation um, that's happening every day uh, and that our government's calling on us as individuals to do. Um, but there are certain people with certain comorbid conditions, right? People who have heart disease, people who have diabetes and so forth. And if those folks don't listen to that guidance, if they say, well, I know I'm not supposed to go out, but I need to go to the grocery store to pick up some supplies. These are the folks that we really want to stay home because if they go out, they're not gonna be able to fight it off. And so what happens is a process called care management, and many of your listeners will be familiar with this, but folks who are in uh, the healthcare space, there are proactive teams who are designed to reach out to vulnerable people in the case of any type of health event. So, um, you know, there are examples of this where if there's a heat wave, there are teams who will reach out to the most vulnerable and say, hey, listen, uh, we want to bring by a box fan, right? In this case, we need to identify those people who are specifically at risk for serious complications related to COVID so that we can get them uh, the help that they need so that they can stay in place and not go out into the larger community and risk becoming sick. Good. So you're you're based in Austin. So I should I only clarify that because of my my next point. But you know I think that you know we've had now more than a decade of hospitals becoming accustomed to, to the opera opera operating and, and uh, implementation of care across the continuum. Um, that is to provide, you know, uh, care outside of the hospital, but also, as you indicated, um, 
into areas where they can help prevent uh, hospitalization, uh, whether it's, you know, in the example you had with providing box fans or even providing uh, transportation, but to be able to provide that care uh, in new and different ways. Um, so this is pretty interesting in that we've had kind of a practice now to be able to take the information or take the the, the technology that you're providing, but then also operationalize it in areas that people probably don't associate um, with a hospital's role and function. But I think if you were to boil it down, um, you're, you're preparing those hospitals to say, you know, this is the population you would see uh, in, in an ICU that did get it because they are uh, prone to it. Um, but more importantly, you're kind of highlighting a population that those preventive measures need to be, um, I guess, uh, articulated more clearly, or, you know, I don't, I don't know how we make it any more clear to some yeah. of those populations. This is really simple, right? You'd like to think that everybody's listening. You'd like to think that everybody understands, right? That, Hey, we really need to take this seriously. And I think by and large, there is a role for communications at a broad level, right? But this comes down to individual communication. And that can be done by three kind of major constituents. It can be done by the hospitals insofar as they have care management teams that are doing this type of proactive outreach. It can be done by public health officials, right? People who are mobilized to go door to door and actually kind of do this type of work. And it can be done on the provider side, really more so uh, in the primary care space. Right. When you look at accountable care organizations and the care management teams they have, and even by the health plans themselves, who have care teams uh, that are responsible for taking care of you know, the, the most at-risk people in their population. And so there are already teams in place that do this type of work every day. We just need to sort their work list a little differently. Normally, they're focused on you know who's most likely to get sick, and they do things like, let's make sure that Mr. Smith comes in for his wellness visit. Well, at this point in time, you might actually want to reverse that script. You might say, Mr. Smith is really has three different things going on. He's got COPD, he's got diabetes, he's got heart disease. In a normal course of business, you would want to make sure Mr. Smith gets in for his follow-up appointments, right? But right now, your script may be shifting to actually, Mr. Smith, we want to make sure you know you're supposed to stay home. You're not supposed to come in for that wellness visit. And in fact, we're going to walk you through how to do telehealth for the first time. These are the types of small changes people are making, but they need to know our role is very simple and small in this. We're helping to sort the list by the people who are most at risk for this particular disease. Great. So for that reason, you, the team has decided to make it open source. So this isn't even so much of a product or service that's necessarily uh, commercial for your team, um, the, the practice obviously is of utilizing um, the AI practices, but as you, um, as your team kind of developed uh, out the protocol, what made you realize the opportunity of making this open source? And then I guess more importantly, what is, how does the actual, for, for people that are um, maybe unaware, but how how would a hospital go about implementing the index in, in, a, in a use case? And I'm talking not necessarily about how how afterwards once they have the information, but but the implementation. Yeah. So two parts to that question. The first is kind of where do you start, right? And how do you kind of get? How do you look at this? So there's a lot of information on this at cv19index.com. 
that walks through exactly how you can deploy this and how you can use it. Care, uh, care management teams, case management teams are already set up to do this type of proactive outreach. What we're going to do is reprioritize their list, change up the patients that they might call today, change up the patients that they might be doing a home site visit to, right? And maybe instead of going in and checking, uh, checking on the folks, maybe we're knocking on the door and leaving uh, some supplies for them. So we have teams in place that can already do this work. Now let's talk about how do you actually deploy the model. The reason we made this open source, um, yeah, there's a lot of hurdles to jump through when you're a healthcare organization to be able to share your data, right? If you wanna give me the data and say, hey, Andrew, here's all my patients, um, tell me which ones are at risk. There's a lot of hoops you have to jump through to do that. So by open sourcing our product, we get this out to as many people as fast as we can, right? And so this happens in one of three ways. If you have a technical team, if you're a large health system, you've got your own internal analytics or data science team, you can pull down the code. Uh, the open source code is available on GitHub. Uh, you can pull that down, you can fork it, you can extend it, you can make it your own. Um, a lot of folks won't have that team in place. They may not have a, an advanced analytics or predictive analytics team in place, but they might have an IT organization that knows how to wire together systems. In that case, we've partnered with Amazon and we're making this model available on SageMaker. So if you have your own existing Amazon infrastructure, you can take this model, you never have to deal with closed loop, you take this model, you run it in your own Amazon cloud and you integrate it with your systems. And then the third model, if you say, what in the world is Amazon Web Services or what is SageMaker, I need more help, right? then you can work with closed loop. We have a full hosted model that's a part of our HIPAA compliant cloud platform. We can take this from soup to nuts for you and go all the way from raw data to those predictions. Now the catch there is you have to sign a business associates agreement. It's basically a data sharing agreement that's required uh, according to HIPAA regulations. And so that can take a little bit of time. So we're trying to provide three avenues. Um, all of them designed to get this in the hands of as many people as fast as possible. Um, and we're excited that this is already getting off the ground. Medical Home Network in Chicago is already deploying this model for 250,000 Medicaid patients um, in the Chicagoland area. So right out of the gate, we're getting to do some good work and, and make sure that this thing uh, gets out and helps people. Well, and, and let's put that into you know some more uh, clarification on just how 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 much uh, additional help this gives. So uh, according to the guidelines that the World Health Organization and the CDC is, is, is discussing, they've highlighted a risk, risk factors that would put about 55% of uh, American Medicare patients in that risk corridor. What, what, do you, what does your team see in, in the platform of what that number might actually look like? Is it, is it more or less than that? Or, or how, how, how much more precise can you make it? No, so this is the key, right? And, and that statistic, that 55% statistic is something that we're trying to share with folks and we actually developed that number here internally. So the, the issue going on right now is the guidance coming out of the CDC says, look, um, if you have diabetes, you're at an increased risk. If you have heart disease, you're at an increased risk. And they give a number of criteria. If you look at all those criteria, if you're a Medicare Advantage plan, right? So all you take care of is folks 65 and older by and large. Uh, if you use those criteria, you're going to find that 55% of your population is at risk. So now if the question is, whose house do I go to to deliver groceries? If the question is, 
which phone call do I make first? Who do I check on first? The answer is all you have from the CDC is high risk, yes or no, right? There's no granularity into within that group who's of the highest risk. Does it make me higher risk if I have diabetes and COPD? And how much? How much worse is it to be 85 versus 75, right? And so it's mixing all of those variables together using machine learning to be able to output a model that says, hey, listen, if you've got one person to call, if you can only make one more home site visit, if you can only deliver toilet paper to one more house, this is the place to do it. And so what we're seeing uh, is a 10x increase in the accuracy of our model versus just the blanket guidelines from the CDC. Now, I want to be clear, the CDC's guidelines are really important. And it helps people understand at a mass level, hey, if I match any of these criteria and I'm listening, then I should stay home, right? But what we're trying to do is do more, not just do a broadcast message to everyone and say, if you match any of these criteria, but get very granular with these care management teams to get in front of those individuals and say, listen, we can help you. Please don't go out, right? Let us help you. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. So it's, it's great. And so it's always good to hear you kind of talk about uh, in, in such clarity how uh, the, the use case for AI is going to really add to the healthcare improvement in the future. But I think in this particular case, and I don't want to get out in front of the you know, cart in front of the horse here, but when you look at actual deployment in advance of an incident like this, do you envision a future where you don't have to have um, the level of crisis management that we've had to have, we have had to have in this country with school shutting down, commerce coming to a grinding halt, and for that matter, the economic impact just from a market, uh, from a, a Wall Street point of view, if fully implemented, could, uh, and again, brand agnostic here, but if the principles were fully implemented across healthcare, do you see an environment where um, the current reality would have never come to pass? You know, I, I, love, I love your bullish perspective on this. And, you know, hey, can AI actually save the day? Um, you know, what we're hearing uh, from a lot of folks, and, and frankly, it's making it hard to get the word out, and we're so thankful for you and others like you that are willing to tell the story. Because there is a cynicism right now that if you're, in, if you're in the AI space and you're trying to get the word out on a way that you're trying to be helpful, there is a cynicism right now that says AI thinks it can solve everything. Tech companies think they can solve everything. The answer to your question is no. I don't think we could have stopped the pandemic. Because what is happening is you have a virus that is spreading um, virally. Right? We talk about things going viral. That's exactly what's going on right now. And the only way to get through that is around containment measures. Right? And that's what federal governments are struggling to do right now. The part of the problem that we are focused on is as this thing is spreading, can we identify people who are most vulnerable to getting it? Right? And can we do really simple things? At the end of the day, the promise that closed loop is making is not we're going to cure COVID-19. Right? The promise right. is not that I'm going to prevent the next pandemic. The promise that we're making, the opportunity that we have, is to help those that are most vulnerable by a very simple process. Make sure that they're identified and make sure that care teams can get in front of them. Right? And that's, make I sure that, yeah. that they can get toilet paper and that they don't have to go out to the grocery store. And so that is the key thing. And I think 
you know, can we get better at predicting things in the future? Can we have a bigger impact? Maybe. But today what I'm focused on is trying to get this word out to as many people as we can to help as many people with this problem as we can. Yeah, no, I, and I think for, for that clarity is, you know, the, um, the artificial intelligence being a, or a product of this sort being able to actually address the most vulnerable parts of the uh, of, of society and, and taking those measures uh, for those groups. Because if you looked on social media at the beginning of this, uh, as the arguments were taking place of, well, the media is blowing this up to be too big. Oh, you know, uh, this is actually big. And then there was a group that was saying, no, this is a, a serious issue. I found that those people that were claiming it to be a serious issue were the ones that were on the front line of caregiving for a friend, family, or loved one who is in the risk profile that you've identified here. And and um, so if we're able to more acutely identify and take steps as a, as healthcare institutions to uh, to um, uh, help um, the harden harden the the uh, resolve of those particular groups to take those those uh, measures, perhaps that we we move uh, quicker in the the future on this. But I think that you make a a, a good point that these pandemics can develop and spread. It's not necessarily a technology to help stop the spread of it, but more importantly to help people quick take quick action um, and, and take it seriously, especially if they can help keep people out of the the target range of that vulnerability. Um, so I, I think that, you know, that that's a lot of what we want to go on, develop again. You can see, anybody can go online to, to see the uh, uh, information that you have on the index. You can also actually notice that you've got a Twitter handle up at, at CV19 index. Um, what do you see in, in as far as the future as it looks for AI and, and healthcare in general? Do you think we're going to be able to use this as a as a kind of a, a high watermark to to truly get people to realize some of the opportunities that exist uh, even beyond uh, COVID nineteen? I, I think so. I, I'll tell you kind of one thing that we're hearing from existing closed loop customers is we are able to take this model that we've built for uh, that we've built and open sourced and we're able to do more with it for those folks who are already integrated to us. And the reason for that is if you've already invested in an AI platform, if you already have a partner who you're working with that is wired into all of your data streams, then you are in a strategically better position to react quickly to these types of situations. And so that's what we're hearing from folks is, boy, I'm really glad that I had this already in place because now I can take all of the available data that I have and quickly use it to build an even better and even more actionable version of this model. Now, the, the model that we're putting out in open sourcing um, is designed to be easily integrated. It uses something called a CCLF file. That's a file that uh, every Medicare ACO in the country has, and they can input that CCLF file, and what comes back are these risk scores. And that's great that we can help in this particular case. But what we're hearing from customers is, you know, I'm because I've invested in this platform already, I didn't even know this problem was coming and I can react to it more quickly. And so I think that's what you'll see as folks are right. looking to get more targeted in the future is that they're going to see the benefits of some of these things. But right now, all we're focused on is trying to get this out to as many people as we can to save as many people or help. At the end of the day, there's a whole nother layer that happens after us, which is the really important layer. It is the medical professionals doing their work proactively to try and get in front of this and the folks working in those hospitals. And we're trying to help both. 
if we can keep all those folks who don't need to go out, we can keep them home and keep them off those ventilators, we're going to keep those hospitals from being overwhelmed. Well, and so, so to clarify, that, that risk score can sit on top of a patient population that a hospital, like you said, any of the Medicare ACOs have. So you can set that on top of your existing patient population that you have in your EMR data. That's right. Well, and I tell you that I think that that's going to be the, the thing that's super fascinating folks. And I, I hope that even for those hospitals that don't have an informatics division or a sophisticated IT division to see the opportunity and teaming up with closed loop and, and your vision for the future. And, and, and honestly, too, uh, having talked to you all before this of seeing um, exactly how your team is making it extremely simple to engage, that's going to really be um, a big opportunity for hospitals. And, and I know that you are uh, working with to, to fielding a ton of, of calls coming in today. So I appreciate you taking the time to it. I do want to talk to you in the future about uh, some of, of, of uh, the approach that I think the, the hesitance that people have on AI being the, the end all be all solution. There are, uh, there is a tendency for, I think, some people to be buffered against the ideas that uh, are coming out of the technology realm, but I think that more and more we're seeing uh, professionals that uh, come from your side of tech that have a, a really sophisticated view of healthcare interest in making it, it work better. And I'd like to get into that next time. And this is, uh, but this has been great. Is there anything else that you need today? You know, all we're focused on is trying to get more awareness um, of this tool uh, and the small role that we can play uh, in trying to identify at-risk patients. So uh, CV, uh, cv19index.com, uh, all the information is available there. Thanks for helping us to get the word out. Yeah, thank you, Andrew. We appreciate it.